All right. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Off the Pulpit. I'm Eugene. I'm Jason. I'm Thomas. We're three pastors and three friends conversing on life, culture, and church off the pulpit. Sorry for the long break, uh, but excited to be back. Just to let you guys know, we have a lot of episodes coming with guests that we're excited about. Some we already recorded, some that we're about to record, but you'll see those coming out. But I know that we had a lot already with guests, so uh, we thought it'd be good just to kind of chat with us, us three again. And as you can tell from the title, talk about what discipleship is. I think that'll be interesting. Uh, precursor, me and Jason just came back from like a conference. So I think we're very charged with those ideas, but well, I guess Tom will find out later. But anyways, starting <laughs> starting as always with the mailbag, uh, just a couple, oh, we had a lot of questions. So thank you everyone for sending them in, but obviously we can't get to all of them, but we'll pick a couple. I thought this was gonna be interesting. Uh, one of the questions we got from the mailbag was, what are your Enneagram types? I know, J- Jason, you're kind of big on this, right? Yeah. You're okay. a nine, huh? I'm a nine. Oh, what does that mean, Jason? Sorry, I, I, I'm an I'm an Enneagram noob, so you have to like tell yeah, me. Yeah, so uh, uh, there are basically nine types, essentially, that represent like ascent, uh, nine different type, you know, nine, nine different types of people who have very specific motivations. And uh, the nine specifically is called the peacemaker. Ah, and, that um, is totally you. Yeah. <laughs> Everything we do in life is motivated by a desire for harmony. <laughs> wow. That's, I've never heard a better description of your life from, from what I know you. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Wait, Jason, okay. What do you think me and Tom are? Off the, I don't know if you do know. Um, Tom, I'm pretty positive Tom is a five. <laughs> what, is, what is that again? Five is called the investigator. They are like high learner. Um, they love like, it, like just... Mm. getting receiving information very resourceful um not always warm and fuzzy but <laughs> you know they, like they're you know i get it i get yeah. it they they say that actually the five is the only number that uh can truly be neutral like a truly neutral party mm. um i could see that because everyone else like even me sometimes i will take aside for the sake of harmony you know uh, um but they say that five can truly be neutral um yeah i don't know if this is a characteristic of you tom but they also say that fives they have basically like a energy tank mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. you're good as long as the energy tank is you know not empty but the moment that tank is empty you're like done mm-hmm. don't talk to me don't bother me i'm yep. done I'm exact. That's exactly it. I'm a five. I have an energy tank, wow. and there are clear wow. episodes where the energy tank is gone that we record. <laughs> so that's where the crazy talk starts that happening. Way, yeah, those exactly. are the best right. episodes. Yeah, nice. Eugene, you're a little harder, though. You know, I'm not that. You're, you're, you know, you're still. Yeah, uh, if you had to just guess to one, because I, I did just take it, but I, I have no idea what it means. So I, I'd be interested. There's four individual. A four is the individualist, so a lot of artists. Um, I thought you'd you know. use a four. That's my guess. I could see that. Uh, my guess is I'm going to guess seven. What's seven? Um, seven is like they love to have fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, the yeah. enthusiast. Yeah, the enthusiast. Yeah. Wow. Jason, um, you're really good. I actually tested for a yes. seven. Oh, yes. wow. Yes. Wow. Okay, but yeah, tell me what a seven, because I'm really curious. I have no idea. Yeah, so sevens, um, yeah, very spontaneous. 
Um, they live for adventure. So every ah, uh, every type has kind of like a vice that they struggle with. So the nines, my vice? our vice is um, sloth. Um, <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, it could, because uh, you, you spend your entire life constantly thinking about what everyone else is thinking. You're so, uh, so you're tired like at the end of, the, end of I, it all that you're just, you end up doing nothing. And then um, your um, vice is gluttony. And so uh, sevens generally tend to have more, addic- they're prone to addiction a oh, lot no. of times. <laughs> That's actually very true. Um, and what, about, wait, what about five? What are the vices for the five? Uh, the, fi- the vice for the five. Um, oof. No, look to, it up. Is it being detached? Man, I don't think that's I'm advice. ashamed I think that's that I don't know like this. Part of the five life. Uh, it's avarice. Yeah, oh, avarice. that's right. That's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and it's it's not like you're like Tom is like a greedy person, and but it's again because you have a limited amount of resources, you're you're very like um, possessive over your time, energy. Um, yeah, but a seven, uh, the kind of like the trademark of a seven is you tend to reframe everything as a positive so you don't really like getting getting too into the negative stuff um and so your natural inclination is to turn things into a joke or you know you won't really go in there so a lot of times they say that sevens can struggle at the beginning with therapy and things like that because it kind of forces you to go to places you don't really want to go and so wow that's pretty interesting spot on (laughs) We should we should do an episode on. We gotta this. do an episode right, on. There's it, yeah. Yeah. there's yeah. so much heat around this too. But all right, cool. So that's our enneagram types. If you have any enneagram questions, you can DM Jason um, at any time. Uh, one interesting question. This this question is from a pastor of, or, or sorry, uh, a member of one of our churches here. But I won't say who. What is the best way to give your pastor feedback on sermons? Like any feedback or bad feedback? No, let's do. What's the best way to give positive, and then maybe the best way to give uh, critical feedback. It's always good mm. to be specific. Like, it's not mm. good if you go up to someone going, thank you for the message. It was great. That's mm. nice. But I think what's even more encouraging or even helpful is getting specific. Like that one point you mentioned, or I have a question about this point. I think that's the that's most true. helpful feedback when you're specific. True, Sorry, true. Jason, go ahead. No, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Mm. I think the um, feedback that's probably the most unhelpful is I didn't like it or, <laughs> you know, um, or a nice job. Mm. Um because, yeah, I mean, I, encouragement is always great. Um, but if we're talking about feedback that really, if you want um, to give your pastor constructive feedback, I think getting specific is always nice. Yeah, yeah don't, don't give critical feedback like right after the sermon. I think that's the worst time to give it. I think especially if you take time to, to email it out of like exactly what you're saying and to read it yourself. I've, I think pauses and negatives. I, I always found that helpful rather than just like right after sermon, like, oh, hey, good or bad. So that's helpful too. I hope that helps you for whatever member of a church you're at. <laughs> um, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll do we'll do two more questions. Again, we had a lot, so we'll try and get to these uh, next week too. Um, where does church polity, so that's just like how the church is you know, functioning, the processes, the politics of it. Where does church polity fit into the priority of believers' convictions? So just basically, is it important, church polity? I know I know Tom will have strong opinions, I think, on this. I think so. 
I think it's important. It helps. And by polity, meaning like how does your church function? What's the governance of the church? How does it work? I feel like um, if you don't care about it, you, the only time you're going to actually realize that you should have cared about it is when your church is in trouble. When crises happens or scandals happen, that's when polity really plays into play for everybody. But even before then, I think what polity does is it activates the member to care and be invested in the church. The more you're into and understand the way the church works, the more you're going to be invested into the local church. Again, it doesn't mean that's everybody's thing. I know majority of people, they don't even know their church polity or how it works. But I do feel like polity, to have a basic idea of how the church functions, it just activates you as a member to contribute to the way the church functions. So to me, it's it matters and it helps to care about the church. Yes, I think that's a really good way to put it. So we'll leave it. Tom's the expert on church polity, so we'll leave it at that. Um, Last question is, I, I, we can end with a more fun one. If we could have any Christian or non-Christian guest on for all of us, who would it be? Well, first and foremost, all three of us would agree. Dr. Keller, if you're listening, you would. I think for all three of us, be our first choice to come on because you have shaped not only our lives but our church's lives in in with that. So, so outside of Keller, I guess who do you, who would you guys want on? Christian and non-Christian. Yeah, he's a Christian or non-Christian, but we can do both. What's one Christian guest you would want on and one non-Christian guest you would want on? I don't know where he would fit, but I would love to have Mark Driscoll on. Just, just <laughs> a genuine, like, just conversation. Like, because I'm just, you know, if you guys are listening, I'm sure you listen to Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, but, like, I need to just hear firsthand, like, Dude, what was going through your mind like when you did all these things? So that would be my 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 pick. It's a good one. I don't have anyone specific. I'd want just types. I'd want a super conservative or super liberal who's charitable that we could talk to. Mm. Like mm. I would want someone in that camp because I think most mm. of the people we talk to they're somewhat moderate, but yeah. the people who are super left or super right who are charitable, I'd love to talk to somebody like that. Man. Well, if you find someone charitable, yeah, ask them. There's a reason why we can't find those guys. <laughs> yeah, Jason. Yeah, man, I was gonna say like LeBron James. <laughs> <laughs> really? I don't know if he would have. Like, That'd be amazing. I, I don't know. Just just to be like LeBron James was on the podcast. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll uh, try. We'll amazing. keep trying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Send them a DM. One of us need to get blue checks, but yeah, that's all for a mailbag. Again, if you have any questions of any sorts, you can DM us at any time. Uh, we have a lot that we didn't get to answer, so we'll try and get around those in our, in our future episodes as well. So thank you for all those questions. But uh, for today, uh, we wanted to talk about discipleship. Uh, it, it's a very broad topic, but I, I think the the idea that I want to send around in our discussion was like, what does it mean to be a disciple, and how does a church help that how's the church been hurting in that process recently uh, i think a lot of this has been again stemming from conferences that i've been to and recently me and jason just came back from one so we're going to try and have, talk about that other words could be spiritual formation um, or just spiritual growth but i i guess one question to help all of us uh to for our listeners to kind of hear different perspectives for all three of you us and, and you guys individually like how would you guys personally define what discipleship is like what exactly does that mean practically for a christian i mean to give a macro level perspective of it 
I like what James K. Smith says, which he describes discipleship as an immigration from one kingdom to the other. Mm. And the ways that you used to live before where we lived in the kingdom of the world, you're now transferred to a new kingdom because you've been given a heavenly passport and you're now learning to live like a local in this new kingdom that's there. And so you have to, in a sense, unlearn a lot of things that you once held as being the standard of life and you're now being acclimated to a new way of life. So a new, a new language, a new habit, a new destination, a new purpose. And you're kind of following and slowly learning throughout your life what this new kingdom ethic looks like. And so that macro level view of learning and transferring into a new domain, I feel like that was a helpful guide for me. Mm, that's actually really good. Jason? Um, I would say for me, um, when I think about discipleship, I would say the goal of discipleship is to produce, uh, nurture, and foster a fully human persons. And mm. um, I think the common misconception is that discipleship is about making a person more Christian. And I would say that discipleship is actually about making a person human. Um, if we believe that Jesus was the most fully human person who ever lived, so we're talking about socially, emotionally, spiritually. And and so, you know, this this idea of not... Um, getting it, it, you know, I think a lot of times when we measure discipleship, we talk about how many Christian things is a person doing. Um, when I think we should be thinking a lot bigger than that, and so um, I would say, like in Jesus, discipleship looks like full humanity. You know mm. what humanity was meant to be. Mm. That's, a, that's a very Jason answer. I, I like I like that a lot. <laughs> it's very very Los Angeles. that's true Uh, no I I think those are two really good definitions I agree with both so with that I I think those are really good ways and I think even the the similarities and kind of the differences is is what I wanted to get at because I I also feel like okay I guess for me I always thought as a pastor discipleship was always hey change the heart change the mind and then you can change the hands so it's very gospel centered very Keller-esque, very reformed in his perspective. But I think recently, and Jason and Tom both know this, and I'm kind of in the middle, and you'll kind of see Tom kind of represents the reform camp. Jason represents the, uh, what do you call that, Jason? What do you call that? What a fuller is? Hey, hey, I I still... I still consider myself a four. That's oh, true. We had a we had we a good should, conversation. Okay, we should, we should define our definition. Yeah, later. Jason represents the new reform camp. I don't know the the uh, spiritual Neo. formation camp. The, the camp. reformed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. I, don't know. I don't know. But anyways, I so I was always in the reform camp. Uh, but I think recently there's things that are happening, and I think even the discipleship question is a good one because I always thought, hey, it's 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 change the heart, remind them of the gospel, and then they'll change. But recently, I think people in this other camp that Jason's more a part of, they're like, no, it's actually, a lot of it has to do with obedience. So mm-hmm. I think there's a distinction between how you do both. Um, and I think the people on the left, sorry, Jason's on my left. It doesn't mean <laughs> literally left. But the people in Jason's camp and the people that I've been kind of exploring more would say gospel-centered reform perspectives have weakened in obedience. Um, and I find that mm-hmm. to be true. I think people in Tom's camp would say, but you guys lack in doctrine. So I guess with that, how do you guys balance obedience and not becoming a Pharisee, if that makes sense? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess if I want to quote from my camp, which would be, (laughs) (laughs) um, I guess like Dallas Willard is a big Mm -hmm. figure. um, And Dallas Willard, 
he defined discipleship as the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Um, and mm-hmm. that, that, like that, you know, yeah, that, that is what kind of disciple, that's, that's the goal. You know, it's not to produce the same looking person, but it's to produce people, you know, becoming the people um, Jesus would be if he were them, you know. Um, and uh, Dallas Willard, one of the things he said actually a lot, um, you know, he lamented that, you know, there, there was a um, lack of, you know, that we weren't kind of like we the there was something about the way in the reform camp we preached salvation that kind of took away the effort part of, you know, yes. and, and something he said all the time was that, um, uh, what did he say? He said, uh, grace is opposed to earning, but not to effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was this idea that, yeah, you, you can't earn your way to salvation, you know, but if you think that it's going to be a walk in the park, that it's not going to require you, you to die to yourself and take yeah. up your cross, then yeah. you really don't know what the heart of discipleship is. So I can definitely see that. Mm. I agree. We're all part of the same camp. <laughs> We're all in the same tribe. I agree with Are that. Are we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. I guess the, the hard part is, yeah, I think it's such a thin line, I think, for people, you know, yeah. between earning and effort. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and maybe especially in Asian American circles, so much of us um, who grew up in like the first generation immigrant church there was such an emphasis on do this mm-hmm. in order to earn favor with God. In some ways, I think where we've come is like a reaction to that, you mm-hmm. know, and so. Which is probably why the gospel movement was so appealing because it mm-hmm. spoke, true. you know, against that. It made a corrective, a much needed corrective. But I think we're seeing another corrective with this gospel movement where true, the gospel is your justification and also the means of your sanctification. But what do you mean by that? Like, what does it mean the gospel is a means of your sanctification? And I feel like that wasn't really articulated well from a lot of figures. So, Tom, I had a question for you, and this is directly from the conference we went to. Do you think that whole point that I think most like SoCal Asian American people in our context do this, like the last point should always be the gospel, right? Like it should always Mm -hmm. be that it should always return to Jesus. Do you think that's you still hold to that in your preaching? Like that should always be there in the last point, no matter any sermon that you preach? No, I actually never held to that where the last mm. point should be pointing to Jesus. I think that's yeah, more yeah. of people trying to copy Keller because Keller's last point was pointing to Jesus. I think it, the sermon should point to Jesus, mm. but should it always end with Jesus as like that climatic moment of the sermon? I don't think yeah. that's necessarily the case. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I think that's more of a form than it is a principle. And the principle yeah. should be true, pointed to Christ, but the form doesn't have to end with the crescendo of Christ. That's personally, I don't think that's something every preacher should do. Mm. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, so I, I guess get to, to get practically though, like for our believer, for a believer who's listening, like where is that line between obedience and legalism for you guys? Like where does it cross over, if that makes sense? Because I do think people kind of struggle with that. Um, I think people that are at churches that maybe center on obedience, they kind of react and say, oh, that's pharisaical or that's being a legalist. And that's led to a lot of, you know, churches that just don't have membership discipline or, or any sort. So I guess for you guys, like if you're talking to a listener, how do you define that line as a pastor practically? Well, I like what Sinclair Ferguson says, where he says legalism is separating the law of God from the person of God. 
And I think that's very true. When you obey simply for the sake of obedience, you've probably fallen into legalism and it creates a dead relationship with God, just like it would if you didn't obey. It's still a dead relationship. And I feel like we could all relate to that, for example, in marriage. If we're having a hard time in marriage and our spouse wants us to grow or do certain things for them, and we just do it because I'm going to try to be a good husband. You're just kind of washing the dishes and saying nice things, but you're doing it more so because you're trying to appease your spouse versus you actually really want to do it for your spouse. That doesn't necessarily create a, a thriving relationship. In, in fact, it, it could create bitterness because yeah. you're doing so much and you're keeping score and you feel like you're accruing all this debt from your spouse because of all the things that you're doing. And so when yeah. you separate obedience from the person, I do feel like that's where it gets really challenging or that's when legalism starts to spring up. Now, how do you know that's actually happening? That's the tricky part because the heart, how do you gauge what your heart is actually motivated to do for your spouse or for the sake of obedience itself? So it's hard. Mm. Is there anything to add? Or, yeah, I think that's a good definition. So, um, with that, I guess going back to more of a general question then. So with all that, I, I think one thing that Christians can be confused about is just the idea of growth itself, like how that actually happens. How is your spirit formed? How does your soul grow? Because is it learning more Bible, right? Is it just being in community? Is it all those things combined? So I, I, this is a very general question. So I just, we'll see where this goes and, and we'll kind of stem the conversation from there. But for you guys, like how does a Christian grow? What does that look like in your paradigm or in your context that you're preaching or ministering in? Well, Jason could tell us how to grow. Since I'm an Enneagram 5, <laughs> I observe how we struggle to grow mm, or the this problems. Might be and uh, yes. I think one mistake that I feel like a lot of Christians make is every Christian is supposed to grow the same way through the same means with the same type of fruit that's being produced. So, for example, the way you grow is you read your Bible, you journal, you read commentaries, you get deep in the word, you do an exegetical study, and that's what growth looks like. And the fruit of that growth is you have verses memorized that you can spit out in conversation. You're talking about Bible studies all the time. You're interested in Bible studies. And amen to that. That's kind of more how I grow personally. But if I use that mold for universal growth for every Christian, like this is the way a Christian grows, I feel like you're not really... Uh, creating a growth that Jesus is talking about in the Bible, but you're creating a growth that's more like the way you grow. But you, yeah. if, if you're a pastor and you kind of see that's the way that a Christian should grow the way I grow, then you're creating a lot of clones of yourself that it might be helpful, but not everyone's going to grow that exact same way. So I do think that's yeah. something that's a mistake that happens is we interpret growth in this singular way for everybody. Yeah. But so I agree with that too, but do you think there's also basic tenets that every Christian should have to grow, if that makes sense. Like, is yes. there a baseline? Yes. What would what would be in that baseline for you? Jason's going to answer that question. I, <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I, uh, like I it. mean, I, I'll quote Jamie Smith here, where uh, I do think you have to be habituated yes. into sure. discipleship. You know, sure. I think um, so much of our discipleship right now has been centered around like Sunday to Sunday. You know, come on Sunday. Yes. Do these things. Um, when Monday through Saturday, we're being habituated to love something yes. completely you're, different. You're being catechized Jesus. by the culture, as Kelly would say. Exactly. Um, and so I, I do think that um, I agree with Tom that everyone's discipleship journey is going to look different. But I do think that um, whatever that is, uh, it's going to be the practices, rituals, routines mm -hmm. 
that we incorporate into our lives that make us into a type of person, yes. you know, and, and, you know, that actually form the things we love as well, mm. you know, and so um, I do think that's really important. So There's what, a book what, by uh, Daryl Dash. I don't know if you guys ever read it, How to Grow. Yes. And I thought he did a good job breaking it down of like, there's pretty much core habits that you just can't grow unless these are your core habits, which is like the basic fundamentals of Christianity. Yes. You read God's word, you, you, you pray, and you fellowship with God's people, which I, I remember one author put it like you're, you're hearing God's voice, uh, you have God's ear, and you're fellowshiping with God's body. And so it's all this intimacy with the Lord. Um, those are like the basic core habits, but there's also practices that you can do which propels that growth or which helps that growth. But I do think there are what we call it means of grace, the channels of grace that allows you to experience intimacy with God. And that's just almost a non-negotiable, like that's just how you fellowship with him. Uh, yeah. But it's gonna look different for each person and how you experience those core habits or the means of grace or the channels of grace. Mm. Yeah, like one specific example would be like Sabbath, right? Mm -hmm. Sabbath, how people Sabbath, what they do when they Sabbath, is going to look different for everyone, but yeah. you absolutely need to incorporate Sabbath. It, it's kind of a um, a resistance yes. to the hurried um, emphasis on you know productivity that we see in our culture, and so you you need to incorporate these practices that are actually pushing up against the practices you're already being indoctrinated into. Yes, and I'd even add Sabbath in particular. It's not just being there on Sunday. But the mm -hmm. Sabbath inquires like this idea of rest and it's, it's contrary to like what you would think, but like, I think to experience true Sabbath is to come intentional on a Sunday and to be fully focused, to be there from, you know, we talked this a lot, but for our church members to be there from the call to worship, because there's a reason uh, we add that into our worship to the end of the benediction and not just, you know, zoom out after the, the, the sermon ends, because that in itself is Sabbath altogether. I think if you take any of those elements out, you're actually kind of missing out on the whole idea of rest, biblically, liturgically, whatever that looks like. And I think that's one thing that we kind of miss out on uh, a lot of our Sunday goers too. But I, the habits thing is really interesting. If you haven't read, um, what's Jamie's book called about on that again? I totally forgot. Habits you are of the what heart. You love. Oh, you are I, what you love. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, I, I that's a really helpful book if you haven't read it. Um, it's it's very easy to read, very very down to earth. But I guess for you guys, like, what are the habits? with your church members on a Monday to Saturday, as you mentioned, that you see lacking, um, that, that needs more formation or help uh, for just collectively uh, in our churches that you guys have noticed? I mean, I can definitely speak to the habits that are destructive. Um, we, bas we did an entire sermon series this summer called Unlearn and Relearn, and it was Ooh. all about unlearning habits that harm us and replacing them relearning habits that heal us essentially like and I move us uh, toward Jesus. Oh, feel free. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, social media, you know, uh, being pl constantly plugged in to the 24 seven news cycle. Um, I think they call it like a digital IV now, um, that never leaves like the body. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think that's, yes, these are kind these are habits that are, they lead to so many other things, you know, comparison fear insecurity you know they're like a, a lot of these small habits are pathways into these things that really cripple us um spiritually emotionally mentally um and so yeah i would say that's a big one mm. tom 
I mean, mine's basic. I think of all the core habits that I see feels neglected the most. It's the word of God. I feel mm. like for a lot of people that at least I encounter, prayers tends to be very normal. Um, fellowship tends to be very normal, but engagement in God's word tends to be hard and challenging, which creates a conundrum. Uh, this is an analogy I once gave to our church. I, I once said, imagine if you had a poster of BTS on your wall and, you, and it's like, oh, wow, you're part of the BTS army. Like you love BTS. And like, oh yeah, I love BTS. Like, oh, what songs do you like? And they go, oh, I don't know any of their songs. Like I never listened to BTS in my life, but I love BTS. It's like, how do you even know what you love? Like you never even listened to BTS music. You don't even know who they are, who the band members are, any of their names. So you're kind of like posing, even though in reality, you don't really know what you're actually communicating in terms of like your posters and your profile pictures and so forth. And I feel like you're getting a lot of that when you're not reading God's words, because if that's how he reveals himself, how can we say we know him and love him if we're not reading about him and engaging with him? But we're talking about how we love Jesus. And so to yeah. me, that's kind of something that I feel like is a bigger epidemic in my context from what I see. Interesting. Yeah, for me, it's actually interesting because I feel like it's it's switched where maybe it's more of a barrier thing. But I feel like people like to learn. They love TED Talks. So they, they'll read the Bible. They A big thing is people will listen to Jordan Peterson's uh, sermon or not sorry not sermons lectures basically on the sermons. Old Testament basically yeah basically sermons, sermons. The, the, actually they're kind of helpful but not not sermons um, but I I think prayer is a some is a habit at least in the Silicon Valley like people cannot do hmm. um, I I think it's this idea of to have actual effective not even effective but true prayer is just just stop and I think up here like it's it's a hard thing to do because. I, the fact that people will listen to a podcast on 1.5 speed on their commute just shows to like, it's just, I can't even have silence. It has to be something sped up because that's how efficient I want to be. So I feel like up here that's, and even for myself, that's something that I've always struggled with uh, prayer, because to be honest, for a lot of us, even including myself at times, like what exactly is it? It's mysterious. Like a Bible to me, it's like, it's there. You just read it and you hopefully gain information. I think prayer is a little bit harder for a lot of people because it seems like it's a habit you're not really used to. When, when you should be, maybe it's just like talking as there's a lot of analogies to that, but I find it difficult. So I, I find that habit to be kind of missing in, in at least my context too. So, I mean, that's that's helpful to have habits that kind of form you. That's a part of discipleship, right? Um, yeah. Something that, um, oh, if I could add, add something. Um, something that I've tried to do and I haven't done it well, but... Um, you know, I've tried to create a rule of life for myself. It's something mm -hmm, we actually mm -hmm. had to do in seminary. Mm -hmm. Can you explain um, what a rule of life is? Because I think people might, people might be like, what does that, that mean? Is. Yeah, yeah, it's it's literally um, creating um, a set of habits and routines and rituals mm. and practices you intentionally incorporate into your life. And everyone, ha everyone we already have one, we, and we already have a rule of life, right? Yes, like everyone do. has an, uh, an unwritten implicit. rule of life. That, yeah, implicit yes. rule of life. Yes. Exactly. So I, the way that I do mine is I, I split it up into like um, relational, spiritual, emotional, um, vocational, um, something like that. Um, it's four quadrants. And, you know, um, like there are things in there even as specific as a date night once a month with my wife. You know, the, these are things that, you know, you're saying this is something you want to intentionally because you're right. Like, if you don't intentionally schedule it, plan for it, you're not going to do it, you know. Um, even things about spending time with my parents, it's it's all in there, oh, you know. Like um, 
and I tried to get it as specific as possible. And as the seasons of my life have changed, you know, the rule of life has also kind of evolved with it. Sure. Um, but just having one is really helpful. Um, and I, I've gotten a few people um, in our church to start doing one. Some people did it and showed theirs to me, and it's 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 been really helpful for them as well. And so, you know, that's kind of a maybe a five to ten year plan for our community to do mm. kind of a rule of life together as a church. You know, that's awesome. Um, so, yeah, nice. Only old people do rules of life, though. It's like when you're 30, like when you're in your 20s, you're not going to do that. When you're 30, although, although if you did it, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I think in the it, 30s, you almost realize you have to. It is becoming like more hip, though. Because oh, the rules of life the, thing? Yeah it, 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 yeah. it's kind of rooted in Christian mysticism, right, Jason? Like yeah. a lot of the mystics yeah. did it. I, I think it's becoming mm. like a hip, like it's a hip thing to do just in life, like having a rule mm. for life. Yeah. So I think like Ignatian spirituality, all the mystics that like that ascetic way of life is becoming very in right now. But once like Lifeway and all the Christian media starts to build those journals called Rule of Life, (laughs) like you're going to ruin it. It's no longer going to be cool. I know. So enjoy while it lasts. That's Uh, true. Yeah. Jason's ahead of the curve, so he can can enjoy (laughs) it. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, and I I think we've been talking so far on an individual basis, but I think one thing I want to touch on was the church level like big c church um and it'll be interesting too because i think all of our camps have different weaknesses but i guess for you guys like the cynic and me will always start with the weaknesses but what are the weaknesses that you guys see in our churches regarding discipleship you know in our programming in how we function in how, in our culture too um because i again I, I, have, I have a lot of ideas just from the conference that that we came back from but i'd be interested to hear you guys personally as lead pastors Oh, make sure you share. Cultures. I mean, I think that's exactly it. It's the programming of it. It's this mm-hmm. programmatic thing that is what yes. discipleship is. So, so long as you're part of the program, you attend Sunday worship, you join a life group or community group, you attend the Bible study, we presume that we're being discipled. Whereas in reality, it could just be a check mark, and you're just part of this machine that's there. Whereas in reality, discipleship is you're shifting, you're changing, you're growing. And so that's the part that I feel like we could easily deceive ourselves that we're Mm. being discipled when in reality we're not. We're just part of a program. And so I think that's going to be, and I understand because it's easier. It's simpler as a leader to say, hey, is my church getting discipled? Well, let me see the attendance of my studies. Oh, our church is getting discipled. Whereas is there real life transformation happening in the church? Harder to gauge unless you know the people. Harder to gauge unless you're really shepherding them. So it's hard. Yes. And we can like how do you even gauge spiritual growth too, right? And we talked yep. about that before, but that's so difficult for churches, which I think mm-hmm. makes programming so mm-hmm. like so tempting because it's like, yeah, we're doing fine. I totally agree with Tom. I, I think one thing, f- I th- so me and Jason just came back from Portland um, at John Mark Comer's church in Bridgetown, and I think one thing John Mark's I don't know if he said it at the conference or not, but he said I think one of the mistakes in 21st century ev- the evangelical church makes is seeing that information is discipleship. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and Jesus didn't come to inform. He came to, he came to transform. And I think that always stuck with me when he said that. And if, even at my church, I find it to be so true because I think people think information is discipleship. Like, I remember one guy, uh, we, this is pre-COVID when we had two services. So at the second service, I knew he wasn't at the first service. And second service, if you're already at the first service, you're just kind of outside hanging out. And he was just outside with us. And I said, hey, like, I know you're serving, but you should go in and, and be a part of the service. He's like, uh, don't worry, I'll listen to podcasts. And, and he meant that 
in mm-hmm. full genuineness. They're not like I'm trying to like miss out, but it's like I'm good. Like I'll get my sermon and that's that's my growth. And I'm like, oh man, that's and part of that is on us for creating programs like this, as Tom mentioned. But I find that to be so problematic. And I don't really know. Like, it's been interesting to me to, like, I think John Mark Comer did a good job of diagnosing it. I think his practice and solution was, like, I'm still, I don't know, Jason, maybe you have a clear practice of what he's trying to do. I'm still confused on what that looks like, the step outside of information. But that's one thing that I've witnessed, that um, Western Christians think hearing is enough. And I don't know how we can get the church to start doing God's word. I like the great commission is just not teaching disciples, but it's for them to hear and do my commands. And that's where it's tricky because how do you not slip into legalism? As Tom mentioned, how do you even measure that? So that, that those are some of the questions and observations that I've had recently. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, I, I know at Bridgetown, um, something that they do, they have that triangle. Yes. Um, for intentional spiritual formation. And it's like, uh, teaching practice community and it's kind of like the holy spirit yeah in the middle is the holy spirit you know obviously you need the spirit um that's good i'm gonna take that yeah (laughs) like you said church i I, I thought it's amazing diagram for our church (laughs) (laughs) just just mix up where each is at and you're fine yeah and, and the big paradigm is like the teaching practice community all of it is centered around three goals to help people be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. That's kind of like mm-hmm. their, I would say, their discipleship model. Um, from my experience, I would say um, you can know what a church's discipleship model is by looking at their budget. Um, and, Please you know, I, I, I mean, they say that, like, any church's discipleship model is perfectly designed to produce the results it's getting, you know? And so... I think what that means is, you know, if you look at a church budget and let's say 90% of your resources and finances are going to making the one hour on Sunday happen, on making the Sunday experience happen. At the end of the day, if you start complaining that, oh man, like our people, they just come and they just want to hear a good sermon and listen to good music and go home. In some sense, it's like, but that's what you're doing. You know, that's where all your resources are going to making that experience happen. And so um, I do think like we also have to, you know, uh, like pastors and leaders, we're notorious for being like, why are church people not being discipled or not becoming like Jesus? But I think it takes a little bit of self-examination to look at what are the things we're investing in? um, And are we actually, is what we're doing conducive to producing mm-hmm. you know jesus followers mm-hmm. and you know i would say mm-hmm. it would rebuke a lot of people myself included you know, and budget um, i think a lot that. of people they don't know how the budget works it, there's not going to be a discipleship budget in the budget rule sheet it's going to be exactly. how do you staff your church that's yes. oftentimes the way the budget works out where do you what what is the staff overseeing are they overseeing special events if all the staff is overseeing something that's sunday oriented then of course it's going to be a sunday oriented church but do you have staffers overseeing more holistic discipleship in the entire church? That's going to be where you see the budget play out. Exactly. Which a lot of these newer churches that I've grown to respect have a pastor for that, mm-hmm. which I think before people were like, oh, like 
every pastor should be a part of that. But that, it's probably like a naive answer. There's a pastor of spiritual formation or discipleship. Maybe that's needed too. Jason, I guess, and Tom too, what should we then spend our money on? Like as with the budget, what are areas that we should pour more money into to, to kind of foster discipleship just, just to get more practical? So kind of to go back to something both Tom and you said, um, you know, if we see like biblical literacy lacking in our churches, mm. let's say if we see prayer lacking in our churches, what are ways we can get our community to start reading the Bible? Like minus just telling them to read the Bible <laughs> on a Sunday, you know? And yes. so, um, you know, I mean, we we saw that in our own church, just a real... Um, we just felt like, man, we need to help people rediscover a love for God's word. We just, especially with the way 2020 played out and just all the different issues that people were debating and politics and everything, we realized we really, moving forward, need more biblical literacy. And so we basically centered our entire community group system, for example, on on doing inductive Bible studies and getting people to sit with the word wrestle with the word you know bring their questions um and 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 to sit with it even before they hear it preached yeah and so our community group uh community life director her role right now is really centered all on that and so i i I do think like we can take some of the things we think are lacking and start creating um i don't i don't want to i don't know if programs is the right word but creating spaces for those things to actually happen yeah. creating spaces that foster prayer and and reading yeah. the word yeah you know one thing you mentioned to me jason too is like how you're making community groups read the the book of the sermon series a little before that starts right or it's mm-hmm. kind of like on i really like that idea too because i think it's more of a collective i i also realize with churches and i don't know if this is helpful or not but like there's so many different directions every congregant is being pulled sometimes. Like there's a men's ministry, a women's ministry, an outreach ministry, Sunday service, community groups, welcoming service and all that. And it's all pulling you. And I think one of our jobs as lead pastors that we've done a bad job is, is like maybe one of our jobs is to collectively make that into one push or movement. I know that's hard to do, right? But I like that idea a lot that you were doing that. You're making community groups alongside the sermon series because it kind of, helps them not to be so scattered brained because a lot of programming at your church can do that i feel so I, I i like that idea a lot but that temptation is understandable like you want to troubleshoot like oh the yes. women aren't bonding so let's create a women thing oh the men we need to raise up stronger men so let's create something yes. for men oh the bible you know yes. we need to grow in god's word so you create that and it just becomes confusing and it, mm. it works for like a season but then you slowly see those ministry website pages like not updated since 2018 <laughs> And it's oh, like, man. oh, dude, that's that's just the way it works, man, because you want to troubleshoot these issues rather than having a holistic vision of what does your church want to do when it comes to discipling your people altogether. Yeah, I'm on Squarespace, and I realize there's church website pages on our page that we have. Oh, same Anyways. here, man, same here. I understand. <laughs> yeah, that's, not, that's really good. Um, yeah, I, I guess, like, and we're already kind of talking about it now, but, like, what are ways you guys feel like on a positive spin, like we have been doing a good job. Like any areas that you've seen in our, cause I know, I think one criticism of our pod that at least my wife tells me a lot is like, you guys just criticize stuff and Jason tries to balance it out. So I guess to like, to, to be proactive, right? Like what are some positive instincts of maybe just the specific Asian American church that you've seen 
in comparison to the whole evangelical world that that are benefits and, and positives of discipleship uh, in our in our congregations. I feel like people know it's important. You don't have to tell them this is important for the most part. I think they know like I should be doing this. I should be praying. I should be reading. But the problem is to, how to motivate them to actually do it or how to even show a form that could be doable and something that you could do that's long lasting. Uh, that's like the challenge. But I do feel like people that you don't have to convince them too much that this is important. You just need a reminder every once in a while. So I do think that's a good thing that people have inherited and carried over from perhaps their growth and uh, being in the church and growing up in the church. Um, so that's a good thing that I feel like there's not too much convincing that you have to do for people. Yeah, no, I, I agree. There's like a deep hunger and almost like to get a little deeper, there's a deep, like a familiar sense of the church that you don't see in other maybe contexts or minority or ethnicities or cultures that for better or for worse, I think the idea of being a brother or sister in some areas in our churches, people understand very deeply. Like, and that kind of can morph into cliques and social ladders being formed in the church. But I think it comes from this understanding that, oh, the church is different, that it's supposed to actually matter in our lives and that these relationships are not just Sunday relationships, but family relationships. So I think that part too, I, I, I've really seen as I'm in other spaces, like really highlighted in our spaces too. Yeah, I mean, one thing that's been really encouraging for me recently is to see church more churches i think taking risks and waiting uh in waters you know outside of what maybe they've been comfortable with in the past especially given i think this past season you know i've seen a lot of churches yeah have to tackle issues around racial justice um you know politics and i i, I think this is all a part of discipleship how you're helping people live as a follower of jesus in their respective cultural contexts, you yes. know, with everything going on. Yes. And I think a lot of times, especially in Asian American circles, we generally stayed away from certain things and we kind of just, you know, kept, uh, you know, a theme is that we just kept our head down and just did the safe thing all the time. But what's been really encouraging are churches that are willing to start having the conversations that I think people are having outside the church, um, really going to the word of God um, to see what God has to say about a lot of these things. And I think that's, you know, I, I, I'm thinking that more of that should happen and I'm seeing more of it happening. So it's really encouraging for me personally. Mm. Jason's always the most encouraging in this portion. So that's that's <laughs> good to hear. I, this is a bonus question or extra, extraneous question. Do you guys think community group models are biblical? Because I, I think that's a highlight of our context. Like community groups are small groups, whatever you guys call it, they're really held in high regard, right? But I, I guess the question that I've always come to with discipleship is like, why, what is your guys' opinion on community groups? Like, because I think it's a staple of every church in America, right? And it's not really biblical. Like, it's not commanded or mandated by the epistles or the scriptures. But I guess for you guys, like, why do you guys do it? And, and do you find it helpful? And if not, is there an alternative to that? if that makes sense. I think the form isn't biblical, meaning it doesn't have to be community group model, like that mm. idea of like 10 or four, however large a community group is to meet weekly. Like that's obviously contextual. Yes. 
but the principle of sharing life together i just don't know how you can share life together as a church unless you have something mm. like that because the church True. does or the bible does talk about the idea that you're supposed to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice how can you actually practice those one another commands unless you know the people and you're sharing life with people so i would say if a church doesn't have some arena for that it's really hard to practice the one another commands that are there now obviously the way you do it looks different from every church but that's kind of our basis of why we have something like a community group because we want people to know one another in the body and you, you can't know everybody but at the same time we want to be able to have fellowship with anybody and that's kind of the way that we have our community group set up is how do you know people in the body of christ mm. yeah i think I mean, I can list so many examples of healthy community group structures and unhealthy community group structures. And I think with everything, with all the different forms we use in the church, yeah. you can definitely have a healthy version and unhealthy version. Yeah. I mean, definitely in Asian American circles, um, I've seen community groups become holy huddles, become super insular, um, you know, and, you know, uh, kind of actually move away from the mission of the church yeah um, but i've also seen really healthy community group models i agree with everything tom said i also think you know especially if you're at a, a little bit of a larger church and i mean by large i mean it's hard to have any kind of meaningful relationship you know with so many people yes. you know i think um when i think about even the early church um i think the image that most comes to mind looks a lot more like a community group than it does like our typical Sunday service. True. Um, not that, again, not that one is better than the other, but I do think there is something about that imagery of people gathered around a table, you know, breaking bread, sharing life together, praying for one another, things that you sometimes you probably can't do all the time, you know, on a Sunday. Like, it, it's really encouraging even for me, you know, like, I, I always feel like on Sunday, it's like everyone's holding a, like a milk jug, and you have like this bucket of milk, and you're just like, tossing the whole bucket out. And you know, maybe, you know, people will catch a few drop droplets here and there. But but from my experience with a healthy community group, I feel like those are moments where you can literally pour milk into a person's jug you know like all that. the way through and it's you know it's just great I like that a lot i can see how almost. community groups turn unhealthy because once they get a certain size like it gets crazy man yes yeah it gets wild crazy, yeah and i feel like people aren't happy unless the community group is a little larger for that that liveliness but i do agree but yeah i like that example jason but it seems like most of the milk as a preacher just lands on the floor is what you're saying, right? <laughs> exactly. Spoiled milk. That's a, that's a really good analogy. I'm going to use that for something. Um, cool. I, I think that's helpful. I, I last question. I don't know if this will be added on, but I thought this would be helpful. Um, I think we'll have an episode on tribes and like circles and that'll be a fun episode of like describing the circles and tribes of Christianity. But I guess for you guys, like, so there's the TGC reform tribe. And then there's Jason. I don't know the. We'll just call it the spiritual formation tribe, whatever that is. Like, I'm okay with that. If if you could give one, like critique, and strength in discipleship of each other's camps, like what would it be? Just to end, I think that'll be fun to end with that. Well, I'll critique my tribe. I'm, I'm hesitant. I'll you know. I like that. Okay. Yeah, I'll, okay. I'll critique my self, tribe. Self critique. Uh, I feel like the gospel centric tribe 
what they'll say is everything's the gospel. It's the basis of your justification and it's the means of your sanctification, meaning that's how you enter into a relationship with Christ and the gospel is how you grow in a relationship with Christ. What does that mean? <laughs> like, how does that look like? And I remember for the longest time when I heard that, I thought it's just psyching myself out with the gospel. Like every day, I just remember Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, and that's what it means to grow in the gospel. Um, now, and to a certain extent, there's truth to that, uh, but I agree with, I think we talked about earlier, it seems to have a hard time like with the specific commands of obedience in the Bible. Mm. Um, and mm. I, do, I do think the specific obedient commands needs to be rooted in the gospel, uh, but it's okay to tell people like you need to obey and you need to follow God's word. Uh, and that's part of what discipleship is. And I actually think the fact that I think the gospel centered movement, it almost made people like not want to obey unless they have conviction. Like they need to like really make sure it's like the motives are right and the gospel is central. And therefore, because of that, you don't even do certain practices until your heart is right and you understand it fully versus actually doing it oftentimes builds the conviction. Often when you obey and you follow, that's how you develop that love for the Lord, not just by knowing it, but actually doing it. So I do feel like that's a critique that we see a lot where we have a lot of big heads and a healthy desire to have right motivations, but you're not really seeing a lot of outward obedience that's taking place as much as maybe we think it should happen. So that's a problem that I see in our tribe. Yes. And that's, I guess I'll, I'll add on because I don't know what tribe I'm a part of, but that was the tribe I was a part or sorry. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> I totally agree with Tom because I think the, so most people, I, I guess for listeners that don't understand, most people that are talking in this higher, you know, tribal language, there's a lot of people leaving this circle because they're seeing these inconsistencies from the top level, whether it be about justice, whether it be about race, whether it be about just treating people or gatekeeping the circles. I think Tom nailed it on the head that it's not just these individual matters, but on bigger matters of justice, of whatever. You can come off as tone deaf when you think as long as your atonement theology is correct, you get, you're good to go, right? And I, I think for me, I was always taught, I, I thought what Keller was saying to me was, as long as your heart is changed, your hands will change. But I think Tom's true, where the reverse is also true, that actually oftentimes what you do with your hands will change your heart at the same time. And not that both don't have to be true at the same time, um, but I found that to be true. And I, I, I wonder if that's why there's this lack of growth on... I don't know, present day matters, AKA justice, AKA race in this tribe, because there's a schism happening. And, and I think Tom nailed it on the head with that. So, but Jason, if you could, I don't know, self, you, you could either hate on our tribe or self. No, I, I mean, it's, this is a hard question for me because I'm fairly new to this new tribe. I'm fairly new to this tribe as well. And the reason why I'm, I've kind of like moved is because of everything you guys just said. If anything, I'm much more familiar and I, I still feel a lot more at home in the Reformed tribe. Um, and so, yeah, I know this is, sounds really bad, but I, I don't really have, I can't really think of a legitimate <laughs> critique right now Dang. of this new tribe because I just got over here, you know? <laughs> I like it. I like, it's the promised land, Jason? I wouldn't say it's the promised land. I'm sure I'm sure I'll uncover it. And yeah. so you it can is, talk to me in like 10 episodes. It is still maybe. pretty white. Yes, that's true. Yes, that's true. There's a lot of factors probably to that too. But yeah, I don't know. But this is a question that, this will maybe be a longer episode too that we can talk about. Um, but we'll get excited for that if, if you want to. But yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this conversation. Just I don't even know what we talked about, but just the idea of growth and discipleship. 
uh, I know it was beneficial for me. But yeah, any any last shout outs for you guys as, as we end? I should have gone to that conference. I should have gone there. <laughs> that. I know. Hey, shout out to John Mark Comer. <laughs> Hopefully we'll see you soon. Hopefully we'll see you soon here. But thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed that. If you were blessed of any sort, we're thankful. And if you could just like, like, comment, share, subscribe on any platform, that we'd be really appreciative of that too. But with that, we're really excited to just have you listen. Hopefully you'll be here for our next episode. Until then, stay blessed. Thanks for listening.